Imagine building a more successful hypnosis business just in the next 10 days. To learn how, please visit worksmarthypnosis.com and take the 10-day hypnosis business challenge. Yours free today. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back. It's Jason Lynette here with the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 15 with James Hazelrig. Really excited to share this interview with you today, though I'm pretty certain so far for every interview I've premiered here, I've used the phrase, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I guess I'm just excited to share all of this with you. Let me actually take a step back for a moment and tell you a little bit more about the motive I have behind this series throughout this podcast. The people that I'm specifically reaching out to, I'm looking for those people that are doing things that are kind of off the beaten path of what most of us expect in hypnosis. You know, so back to the session with Roy Hunter, um, the spiritual applications of parts therapy, taking the work that he was doing and going beyond it. Back to Inez Simpson, taking the Esdale state and bypassing that commonly held belief that it's this non-interactive state and through her work, making it interactive. The next session coming up after this one includes, as one of the people on it, Joan Goulding, the work that she's done with Sleep Talk. So specifically reaching out to people who are doing things that are kind of just different. You know, it's wonderful to be in session and help our clients make the changes that a lot of us are just so used to seeing. This one quit smoking, which is fantastic. You've saved their life. This one is losing weight. They're taking back control of their health and all these amazing benefits. Specifically with James, his background, growing up in a family where storytelling was very important. And then the discovery as he began to learn more and more about hypnosis, just how important the storytelling aspect was. You look at all the examples of Milton Erickson and the session, you could watch it and he's telling a story. Yet through that story, it's that filter in which he's speaking through to then begin to layer in some strongly embedded suggestions for change, for improvement, for healing and growth. So that's specifically why I reached out to James. He's got a great CD that came out. I'm going to mention a couple of resources. I'm actually going to make it all a little easier on you. All the resources that I'm going to reference, you can find them on the site, worksmarthypnosis.com. And I'll make a redirect. It's just going to be worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 15. Uh, oh, just a quick side note. I've been using a plugin inside of WordPress, which is really, really easy to use, and it's free. It's called Pretty Link. And it actually sets up a little application box right there on your um, on your dashboard that you plug in the target URL, you plug in the shortened version of it, and it makes it something really direct. So rather than playing with the uh, tiny URL and all those ones out there that may be grabbing some private data, this is a way of sending somebody to a link on your site specifically that's on your site. So really it's worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash session 15, James Hazelrig, whatever I end up titling this session, but I'll just make it worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 15. Um, all the websites, some of the websites I'm going to reference here, you can find on there. Uh, specifically too, uh, he's put out a great CD, Trunk to Tail, Hypnotic Stories of Growth and Wisdom. Uh, sorry, Hypnotic Stories of Wisdom and Growth. 
Sorry, James, out of order. <laughs> That's over at hypnoticstories.com. Again, you'll find that over on my site. Oh, a quick thank you, too. I just officially, I actually created the page a couple of weeks ago, but just put it out there as of this week. Um, the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast page on Facebook, and already in the first, well, less than 48 hours, it's received about 350 likes and uh, still quickly growing as well. So thank you to all of those who have visited that. Um, hey, why not use the surface again? WorkSmartHypnosis.com forward slash Facebook. That'll take you right over there. Do me a favor. Go there. Like the page. In addition to the updates of the podcast, you'll also be seeing some other resources that I'm going to be putting out in the next couple of weeks and months as well. A lot of you might already know of James Hazelrig thanks to a website that he's been running for quite some time now, realhypnosisreviews.blogspot.com. And it's all about reviews of various products, trainings, and different things that are out there. And there's a lot of great information there, too. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, James is down in Austin, Texas, so his website's really easy to find, hypnosisaustin.com. And uh, check that out, definitely. Uh, I'd actually give a quick plug, again, for the CD that he's put out there, Trunk to Tail, Hypnotic Stories of Wisdom and Growth. Specifically, I can tell you right now that that CD is in the car in my car right now. I just listened to it for the second time. I think it's fabulous. Uh, I think it's interesting even just listen and play the game of what types of clients would this process benefit? What types of people would this story benefit? What are the different directions? You'll hear the point of view that James and I both share the anecdote in this conversation of oftentimes in a session playing the game of how do we let the story develop further based on the reporting issue of the client. This was recorded at HypnoThoughts Live. Uh, check this out. Again, this was actually recorded uh, at the table James was manning with his uh, information there as well. Here we go. Session number 15, James Hazelrig. You're doing hypnosis in prisons. Um, yes, technically in a county jail, uh, the Travis County Correctional Complex. And I've been invited there to teach a class that we call Mental Freedom. And when, when I initially sort of sold the jail on the idea, we said it's meditation, visualization, self-hypnosis, and some other things. Um, and we've just, you know, slowly kind of emphasized the hypnosis a little bit more as we went along. And it's, uh, it's incredibly fun. I'm working with a group of recovering addicts. I'm also working with a group of veterans and a group of 18 to 22-year-olds who have nothing in common except that they're 18 to 22 and they're crazy because they're 18 to 22 years old and they're in jail. Got it. So mostly in that workshop format, not quite like the one-on-one -on -one session? Yeah, not a one-on-one. -on -one. It's a class. Um, they, they come in for uh, one hour a week for four weeks, and then we cycle out to a new group, although there are some who sort of get to stick around as helpers and emeritus participants. Um, yeah. Got it. So we're here with James Hazelrig, and you're out of where exactly? Remind me. Um, I'm out of my mind. No. Uh, well, I am. Austin, Texas is where my practice is, and that's where um, that particular jail is. Got it. Got it. And just share with us a little bit in terms of your journey, how it is you first got into hypnosis. Well, I got into hypnosis by childbirth because my mother used hypnosis to control the pain of childbirth. Um, and so I grew up with that story because my mother told that story every time one of us had a birthday. So I heard it four times a year as I was growing up because I'm the fourth of four children and she used it for all of us. 
You know, people sometimes ask me, how long does a post-hypnotic trigger last? Well, my mom's lasted for over nine years because that's the distance between my brother where she learned it and me. Um, so I got into hypnosis, though, really kind of sideways. I was interested in, in uh, trance states. I was interested in how the mind affects um, the body, and I, I had depression that I needed to overcome, and I knew that drugs weren't going to do it. So I, I pursued positive thinking and methods that would help there. I also, and I didn't know I was training for hypnosis then, but I got a master's degree in English, so I learned all about metaphor and identity and things like that. And I, uh, for the fun of it, did an awful lot of storytelling around campfires, and I didn't know until later that I was doing group hypnosis when I was doing storytelling. And I'd love to ask this then, how has that storytelling experience... Well, let me ask you this from this perspective. You're going through hypnosis training. You're learning more information. Did you have those moments of, oh, wow, I'm already doing this? Oh, yes, definitely, definitely, over and over with a lot of different things. Um, but definitely with storytelling, when, when I thought, oh, yeah, sure, you, you stand up, you engage their imagination, and you lead them on an imaginary journey. And even when I was storytelling, I would shoot for um, phenomena. I didn't call it that. But I would say, okay, it's a sunny afternoon in Texas in the summer. I wonder if I can make these people shiver. And I wonder if I can make them shiver one time by talking about cool things and another time by talking about creepy things. Um, so I was eliciting phenomena even before I knew what that meant. And there's some work you've been doing recently to bring a little bit more of the storytelling into the hypnosis community. Could you share with us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm, of course, fascinated by Milton Erickson and the way that he used nested loops. And that's not something I had really previously played with. So I decided it was actually a final project for the Hypnosis Practitioner Training Institute um, back I graduated in 2012 with them. Uh, I said, I want to create just a Mondo nested loop story with like 14 loops. So I set up a chart and then I set out a recorder and I recorded myself telling this lengthy story that's become known as the Elephant Stories. And um, it was so much fun that they asked me to do it at graduation, so I got up and did it there, and it was so much fun. I said, well, I think I'll do it at uh, HypnoThoughts Live back in, uh, well, last year, 2013, right? And people talked about it so much, I decided to come back, and I went ahead and made a recording, a CD of about 72 minutes, of theoretically five stories, but it's more like 25 stories because of all the loops and combinations. Yeah. And we were previously talking about how that structure of storytelling, it's that Ericksonian model, that we can begin to talk creatively about the issue through the story. This is a conversation I tend to hear from a lot of people about, do we take that opportunity and begin to unpack the metaphor for the client or just let it sit as is? And that's a question I'd like to ask just in terms of what's your approach, although I'm sure it may often vary depending on the client, too. Well, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. It really depends on the situation and the client and how you want to work it. And um, Could you share perhaps a recent example of a time that you did choose to unpack and perhaps a time where you choose to just let it sit as it is? Oh, gosh, well. Not to put you on the spot, yeah, but tell right, me right now. Specific example. <laughs> well, um, More thematic. Uh, right. Uh, huh, wow, that that is a great one. 
well, there's there's a particular sort of story set that I use with my guys at the jail, and it's about two monks. And usually, you know, I explain that the monks are uh, guys who have they've taken vows, vows of poverty, meaning that they don't own anything that's theirs. They've taken vows of chastity, which means they don't interact with women, they don't have sex, and they've taken vows of obedience. And they all wear the same thing, and they live in little cells, um, and they don't really get out much unless they're ordered to go there because they have to follow the orders of the abbot. Now, sometimes I will say, does this sound familiar? And look around at my guys all wearing the gray and black bars with matching Crocs, right? And, and I'll make that explicit. But other times I'll just kind of leave it right there and go into the story um, about all of that. And I'll also slide in little suggestions, little ideas. There's a point where they cross a river, and I say, you know, there were a lot of fish in the river, and, you know, the fish were just swimming around unaware of that water, the way that we swim around in our thoughts, completely unaware of our thoughts. And so, and then I just move on to something else. So, yeah, I, I kind of play it by ear and how I'm feeling that day. Sometimes I'll unpack it, sometimes I won't. And I'm curious to find out, do you... Is the goal often, would you say, to look for stories or to create stories or to fit the stories into the context that the metaphors will then apply? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I collect stories and I keep most of the collection up in my head. Um, but I'm, I'm also looking for times when I can craft uh, a metaphor for a client. Um, and... What was the other option? Oh, creating stories right there, which I guess is crafting the metaphor for the client. Uh, I'll also do things like use an allusion to a well-known story. I had a, a client um, who was very concerned because um, the next day she was going to be getting the results of a biopsy, and she was worried that she might have cancer, and she's, she's a very holistic person. She was very determined she was not going to do chemo or radiation, she knew she could handle it. She knew she could take it. But she was worried she was going to walk in and talk to the top oncologist in the city, and she's afraid he was going to look at her and with that power and authority say, you must have chemo. So I, I crafted our session around references to The Wizard of Oz, which I knew that she loved. And, of course, you know, there's a man behind the curtain, the great and terrible Oz, wow, you know. And that just made the doctor hilarious to her. So it was a really fun way. Um, now, because of The Wizard of Oz, I ended up pulling a story from my own life. And that's that when I was about mm, four years old, The Wizard of Oz was coming on TV. And, of course, I'd never seen it. That was back before DVRs and VCRs and all of that great stuff. So um, it was a weekend, so my parents invited over another family, and they had kids roughly the same age as, as my siblings. Of course, I was the youngest. So all the older kids kept saying, now, James, we don't want you to be scared. What you see on TV is not real, right? Because maybe they remembered having been scared from something that really wasn't all that scary, like you might think. And so well, It's I, not every day you see flying monkeys. So, well, yeah. no, well, maybe not you, <laughs> right? I live in Austin. Now, um, but it, but it was, uh, I, I thought it was a lot of concern that they didn't want me to be scared of something that's really rather harmless, you know, the way that sometimes a part of us will get scared of something that's actually quite harmless and not powerful. So we sit down to, to watch it, and our dads are out barbecuing some steaks, and our moms are, you know, making the salad in the kitchen. And this was in Missouri, 
and a tornado watch alert comes across the bottom of the screen and they're all going, oh, well, that's real. But the tornado in the, in the movie is it. And then it turned into a tornado warning. And my dad's had to, you know, my dad and the other dad had to grab the steaks and the salads and everything and take us all down into the basement to hide out from the tornado that I had just seen. And everybody told me wasn't real on the TV. And it like came into my life and it took me a long time to figure out what was real and what wasn't and to realize that I don't have to be scared anymore of even something that seems so great and terrible. So it was it was really fun to to weave back and forth between the story and the story about my life and I had no plan for what it was going to be. And yeah. and it's that benefit of often even looking outside of the hypnosis industry even just looking into our own experiences as that story is there's a bit of a metaphor that story that I'll tell sometimes that I'll briefly summarize which would be I used to work in the theatrical environments. I was in stage management. And it turns out the best way to offend an actor is they come off the stage and you say, wow, how do you learn all those lines? (laughs) (laughs) You've reduced a pouring out of their soul on stage into a memory stunt of memorizing a bunch of words. And the story can progress further in terms of the actors sitting around the tables, understanding the lines. And here's the scenario of the actor forgetting the words in the final rehearsals. The amateur director will say, what's wrong with you? Haven't you been studying? Why can't you remember those words? But the professional director knows to ask, what's your character saying? And without fail, as if he's psychic, the actor doesn't know what the actor's trying to, the director doesn't know what the actor's trying to express in that moment. So from life experience, here's an example of, well, where can we use that? Memory improvement, test anxieties, any time where we need to attach meaning. It's the, why is it that most of us don't remember names? We weren't listening in the first place. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, people, since I've been kind of teaching storytelling, and I did a a whole day-long storytelling workshop with Richard Nongard, and now I've got, you know, my storytelling CDs, and I taught some stuff here. People always say, well, where do you find stories? And I'm like, everywhere. They are everywhere around you you know our identities are stories and so you just sort of develop an awareness for them and it was funny too what you said about looking outside of hypnosis and your own personal experience uh, a while back on hypno thoughts they were saying well what requirement should we have to make a hypnotist a great hypnotist and i said well obviously you should have a master's degree in english like i do because i don't think i could do hypnosis if i hadn't done that because i draw so much on what i learned but Everyone draws on that special thing to create their art as a hypnotist. And and that's just one of the cool things. James, thanks so much for your time. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com. Please visit the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast listing on iTunes and share your positive feedback.